Welcome, everyone. My name is Trevor McGowan, and this is my podcast, 10 Years Teaching in Korea, Stories of the Adventures and Misadventures. Uh, this is a story about my time in South Korea from 1996 to 2006. Uh, sit back, and I hope you enjoy. Uh, we're going to look at some of the fun things that I experienced over that 10 years, some things that shaped my life, some things I found interesting, some things I found fun, some things I found absolutely terrifying. And there'll be a lot of things in here, what not to do when going overseas to teach English. So just to set up the story here, I decided in 1996 that I no longer wanted to work in the hospitality industry. I just finished a three-year degree in university. And when I say just, I should actually change it to I barely got a three-year degree in university. Uh, the reason I share that with you is that now I sit back 20-plus uh, years later I am the principal of a P to nine school. I have many degrees. Uh, I feel very well entrenched in the education industry. But at this time in 1996, I couldn't be farther from that. I was a novice in teaching. I had never taught before. I had an arts degree. I had a degree in uh, history, which uh, is still a far journey away from uh, teaching. But I wanted something different. I worked in the hotel industry and it was time for me for a change. Um, I think the uh, daily rigors of the uh, bus tours and people coming in and being mad about the lack of blueberries and muffins and the fact that the hotel I worked at was slowly uh, easing up on business around wintertime, um, the hotel and myself both came to the conclusion that maybe it was time for me to have a change. So the change for me was, well, what do I do next? And you have to understand, in 1996, we don't have the internet. We don't have an easy way to be looking at jobs all, all over the world, even all over my small town. So what I needed to do was to find something new, something different. I opened up the newspaper, and in the newspaper, they have the ads for the, for the jobs. Now, 1996 in Halifax, which where I was at the time, I'm actually from a smaller place called Sydney, which is in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. But in Halifax, where I lived, and it's not very small, it's a mid-sized kind of city in Canada. But in 1996, there wasn't a lot of jobs. I mean, you could go a long period of time without jobs. And you definitely weren't going to find a job in the newspaper. Most of the jobs in newspapers were the jobs that were in there all the time, over and over again. And, but there was a couple of new little ads there that I looked at and said, teach overseas in Korea. Uh, there was about three of them there. And I looked at the one that seemed to have the most quality kind of artwork. And it was for a school that most people know of in South Korea. I won't mention it here, but it would, what we would refer to years later in Korea as the McDonald's of English language institutes. Um, so by saying that, most people taught overseas in Korea probably know what school I mean. And to be honest, I think the school was great to me, my years there in Korea. Um, I didn't spend all my 10 years definitely at this school, but it was the school I started with. Um, but at this point in 1996, I'm living in Halifax. I'm kind of wrapping up my job. I finished my three-year degree, and I really have no idea what I want to do. Uh, so I'm looking, teach overseas in Korea. It asked for some simple things, a photocopy of my passport, um, a photocopy of my degree, and uh, fax it, because at this time, it was the time you fax things, right? Uh, 1996, if anybody remembers 96, uh, faxing was a big thing. We faxed almost all our documents. So I faxed those things over. Um, I faxed an application form over. I faxed a resume, and then I, I had that discussion with where I worked that I was to be laid off. It was February, and 
to be honest with you, it wasn't a sad news for me, but it did mean I was out of work and I didn't mean I needed something new. I needed something different. And I definitely didn't want to work in the hotel industry anymore. Uh, so that mor- uh, the morning around late March, I get a uh, ring in the doorbell. It's FedEx. I think it was Canada Post at that time. And they'd give me a plane ticket. Now, the plane ticket is dated for August. This is March. And uh, it was back in the day when, again, I sound really old when I say this, but this was when you didn't have your airfare reservations on your phone. You got a nice fancy ticket. And uh, it was a time when you still had those open return tickets. So the company that wanted me to come over really took a chance on me because they gave me a return ticket, one with the date on it, which was the end of August. And with return, open return section on it. And I don't think they'll make those tickets anymore. Um, But by having that ticket in my hand, you have to understand I'm thinking, okay, I can just go. I got a free trip halfway around the world, spend a couple weeks and come back. Basically a a lark. I mean, a joke, you know, just do something fun. So I said, well, you know what? I might as well go for it. Uh, I kind of rented out my apartment or gave up my lease, uh, packed what I had up, spent, sent that back home. And I basically squashed my life into a couple suitcase bags and said, off I go. Now, a lot of you know, and if you listen to this, you probably have an interest in South Korea or you, you are in Korea now. So you understand that that's a big move to go there. In 96, it was even a bigger move. It was a lot of unknown. Not a lot of people had gone over that time. There was a good amount that had been there for two or three years. But 96, it was unknown. There was a lot of unknown going over there. I was 29 years old, uh, single, uh, not feeling like a lot was going on in my life. So a free trip to Korea, I'm I'm up for it. So I said, let's go to myself. So I get on the plane, I'm flying there, and I just wanted you to know this because I'm going in there thinking, wow, nothing, thinking, expecting nothing, knowing nothing. There was a lot of nothing in my head. It was just kind of going. I'm in the airport, and I'm in the airport in Halifax, and I'm going, and I, I have this realization. I don't think I've ever met someone from Korea. I don't think I know one Korean person in my life which is kind of funny because 25 years later, Korea plays such a big role in my life, and you'll find out from from these podcasts. But on the flight from Halifax to Toronto, I don't think I saw one Korean individual. I wouldn't know a Korean individual. I wouldn't know the difference. I was at a time I didn't know the difference if a person was Chinese, Japanese, Korean. I didn't know, right? Uh, Very few. I met very few Asian people in my world, so I was really expanding my experiences. But once I got on the flight in Toronto that stopped over in Chicago and heading to Korea, and it was Korean air, I started seeing many more people, and I assume most of them were Korean folks. And they seemed very nice, but didn't know anybody. Um, I definitely couldn't speak one single word of Korean. And uh, so the plane lands. So here I am, traveling for 24 hours, going to a place I've never been to before. I have to I have to say, did no research on, knew nothing about. I think my only two reference points to Korea was MASH, which is a TV show, which is a very poor representation of Korea and not where I liked in Korea. And we'll get to that one later. And the 1988 Olympics, which does play a big role in where Korea is today, but not a good reference point for someone going to live there. 
uh, the plane lands and I get out. And one of the main things I totally realized is the heat. It is hot. It is the end of August in Korea. Yeah, it is a hot, hot, hot place. Uh, I grew up mostly in eastern Canada, mostly in a province called Nova Scotia. Great weather, fantastic weather. Never gets really, really hot. Never got hot like Korea got. And it was never this hot. It was the hottest experience of my life. So this is this hot, hot, hot airport. Um, the airport was Kimpo Airport. Now that's the old airport when all the international flights came into. Uh, they now have Incheon, a beautiful new airport. Um, and Kimpo was a nice enough airport. Um, the first thing that hits me is the sweltering heat. I mean, heat where you could see the vapors move up. You also, a smell. And it was... And I, I would not be rude by saying it was a horrid smell. So it wasn't, but it was pungent. It was a strong, strong smell. A combination of uh, sweat and, and, and I have to say kimchi. And you'll find also later in the podcast, I have a incredible love affair with kimchi. Did not my first day though. So the smell throws me off a little bit because they have this incredible smell of this delicacy from the country with heat, with sweat. I'm worn out. I am worn out. I'm hot and I'm tired, but I'm also excited because here comes a new adventure. Um, I'm a little apprehensive because through the whole process, again, I know I'm going to keep leaning on that it's 1996, but it was. And so there is no texting back and forth, very few emailing back and forth. I didn't have a personal computer in, in 96, and I definitely didn't have that kind of access. We're faxing things back and forth from each other. And the odd, really awkward phone calls from Korea in with someone with very, very broken English who tells me they will be there. And that's all I know is they will be there. Um, so I'm getting off the airplane thinking to myself, if I, I have the return ticket, now that's key because I might just turn around and come back home. But I'm going to give this a shot. I land hoping somebody's going to be there. And I look and there's two people there, a short Korean man, about five foot five glasses, uh, probably in his mid 40s at that time. And a young, very attractive woman holding a sign up with my name. Well, what I think is my name. And it says, Tior. McGowan. Now, my name is Trevor McGowan. Somewhere, um, Trior, Trior, not Tior, the V is dropped, and I think V is a hard letter to translate in Korea. So it's just Trior, right? And so Trior McGowan, that is my name. And they say, hey, are you Trior McGowan? Now, Trior is a name I've never heard before in my life. Uh, it sounds something like a Scandinavian Viking kind of name. Kind of fit because I am just under 6'6". I was 29. I just finished playing university sports. I was in relatively good shape. Um, I probably did look like a Viking. And I actually probably look like a Trior. Uh, since then, I've never come across the name. Don't think the name exists. But for a long time, I was Trior. Uh, so they welcomed me. And they said, welcome to South Korea, Trior. Then I realized the people meeting me had very, very limited English. Um, the people that were sent to pick me up were a, a handler, you'd say, but it's usually a person that works with the school and one of the secretaries. Um, I don't know why they chose these two individuals to come get me, because as I found out later, it was an English language school. There was plenty of people who could speak English, 
but this was Saturday. So I think they had two people that actually worked on Saturdays, which was the basically the uh, kind of the gopher, do anything kind of guy at the school that I found out later, and one of the secretaries. So they send the two people that I learned a year after working there probably had the least amount of English to come get me. Uh, so that was really fun. Great start. Um, so when they met me, they're very apprehensive, a lot of nod and a lot of hellos and all that. Again, I've done no research. I do not speak a word of Korean. And I find that my people picking me up speak no English at all. All they kept saying was, welcome to South Korea. Do you want anything? Welcome to South Korea. Do you want anything? I'm kind of throwing at some ideas, throwing out, like asking questions, and just a nod of a head. At some point, you realize they don't understand a word you're saying. So there's the second half of the drive to my apartment, total silence, because all I get is, do you want anything? And I can't think of anything because I know they're not understanding anything I said. I do say I want a Pepsi, and I don't know why I want a Pepsi. I do like Pepsi, but it's a weird request at a weird time. And they said, okay. And I'm thinking, all right, at least I'm going to get a Pepsi out of this. Um, they drive me to an apartment that I'm staying at now. Just so you get an understanding of the time frame here, I've been flying for 24 hours. I'm pretty tired. And it's about 11 o'clock in the morning, Saturday morning in South Korea. They bring me to my apartment, which is a nice apartment. It was well looked after in a northern part of Seoul. Now, Seoul is a city of 20 million people. And that is large and it's incredibly large to a Canadian guy from a small town called Sydney, Nova Scotia, about 29,000 people. Um, but I did, we did stay in a place called Ilsan and Ilsan is in a city called Koyang and it's packed and it's somewhat crowded, but not the 20 million that Seoul is. It's more like, you know, it felt more like uh, Toronto. It was like, it was, it was busy, but wasn't overwhelmingly busy, but it was Im impressive to me. Um, so we get there, we have a nice apartment, not far from where I work and I meet my roommate. Now my roommate's name was Gordon. Gordon, similar to me, was a very tall man, about six, four, six, five. He was, uh, like I was Caucasian. And I found out later, Gordon was actually also from Nova Scotia. I mean, from the same province. I mean, so I thought I might've hit the jackpot here. When I meet Gordon, Gordon does not speak a word of English. So to my confusion, he speaks to me in Korean that I find out later was not the greatest Korean in the world and does not say a word to me in English. So here I am, brand new to the country, brand new to this experience, meet someone who looks like a younger version of me, not speaking a word of English. The, the people with me say my next English phrase from them, which is Gordon from Nova Scotia. I'm thinking... Okay, Gordon, how are you? Gordon begins to talk to me in Korean again. I am confused. The two people with us are talking in Korean. Gordon is speaking a Korean that I think is not as good as these folks' Korean, but no one is speaking English to me in any way, shape, or form. So now here I am in a new country, and no one wants to speak English to me. I speak no Korean. I get it. You need to learn the language of a new place. But I've been there one day. And what I found out about Gordon, Gordon had only come eight months before I was there. 
And for some reason, in that eight months, Gordon had decided to never speak English again. I find that admirable about moving to another country, but we also understand the job we are there is an English language school. We are there to teach English, so at some point Gordon must have spoke English, but he decided never to speak English in our apartment or not speak English to me at all. So I had no English to bounce back and forth. I had no one to talk to, and my handlers and the secretary only can speak limited things like, welcome to South Korea, do you want anything? So I said Pepsi. Gordon says something in Korean, and they leave. What I realized was that Gordon had ordered us lunch. So what they, what they were doing as a, as a company, they would give you lunch on your first day. That was kind of a nice gesture. They'll buy you lunch. They'll go get you lunch and bring it. Now, years later, I'm still bitter about this because I could have ordered, ordered something from McDonald's, something from Burger King. There were fast food restaurants. I could order something other than what Gordon had ordered. Gordon had ordered probably the most Korean dish you could imagine, a full-length fish tail and head, still on, in a soup, mixed with vegetables, and I wasn't a big vegetable fan at the time, a very, very strong smelling broth, and a bowl of rice. He had ordered me the Korean of Korean lunch menus, but thankfully they also brought with it a Pepsi. So I drink my Pepsi, Gordon eats my fish, speaks to me in Korean, and now my handler and the, the secretary, they leave. It is now just me and Gort. But as they are leaving, they make this one more English statement that I cannot forget. See you in an hour. And then they leave. See you in an hour. I had just flown 24 hours on a flight. It is sweltering hot. I have not slept. I am in a foreign country. No one is speaking any form of English to me except for what do you want and see you in an hour. The one person who I think can speak to me in English refuses to and continues to speak to me in Korean as he's eaten my lunch of a food that I would never eat in a million years until I got more acclimatated with my time in Korea. And he goes in and starts getting ready to go in an hour. I realize. I have to kind of go with them. I get my stuff, I take my luggage out, and I notice my shampoo has spilled all over my clothes, uh, creating a weird blue stain on anything I own that is white. Uh, the reason I say this, this will come back later in another podcast, but just so you know, a lot of the white things I own got a blue stain on them from my shampoo bottle I brought from Canada. I quickly get a shower. I quickly put on a decent pair of clothes that I have. In the sweltering heat, total exhaustion, Gordon's dressed up. Gordon, to his credit, because not a lot of teachers overseas are taught English really dressed up. Gordon did his thing. He did, did wear a tie kind of thing for work. So I give him credit on that one. So I throw on a tie and a shirt because I bring it because I'm going to be a teacher. So they tell me, I want to go back. I have a three-year history degree with zero teaching experience. And one thing I know now as an educator for the last 20 plus years, going on 30 years, teaching is an art form. It is not something you fall out of bed and do well. Um, I wish I knew that then, 
that I know now, but maybe it was better I didn't. Because here I go to the school. One thing you have to understand about Korean school system, one is that they do go to school on Saturday, um, where we don't go to school on Saturday in North American school systems, definitely not in Canada. But their days in Korea only half days on Saturday. And because they're half days on Saturdays, it's also the lightest day for the language institutes, where Monday to Friday, the little ones come, the kindergarten kids come Monday to Friday. And then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you have a section of kids usually, and this was our school, usually grade one through grade nine throughout the day. But you were getting them as they were finishing school and coming to you afterwards because kids in Korea do go to school all day long. Tuesday and Thursday are your light days. You have your kindergarten kids, and then you have uh, kids who are coming, like new new kids, and some kids from overseas. And these are kids who do ha- do speak English. But you also, our school had our beginner classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And because the beginner classes are on Tuesdays and Thursdays, guess what? They're also on Saturday. So my schedule on Saturday, and it was this way for a while, but on this first day, 24 hours in flight, no sleep, no lunch now because Gordon ordered me uh, a meal that I could not eat at that time in my life. It took me years to figure out that I could eat a fish with the head still on it. Uh, I had my Pepsi, um, but now I'm about to teach. And my schedule is one to three. So I had uh, two classes, which wasn't too bad, right? And then I'd have some time to kind of figure out what I'm going to do. Again, it's Saturday. And at the school that I'm working at, is really not staffed a lot. The only two English teachers in for that day was Gordon and I, and Gordon went down his own section to teach. I have yet to hear Gordon speak English, which is really freaking me out, and no one welcoming me to really speak English, and here comes my kids. So the kids come in, they get settled. I turn to the handler man, who's, again, about a 40, 50-year-old, kind of short Korean gentleman, um, with no English, and he never really got any English in the year that I was there. And I said, what do I teach? Um, and he said, you teach English. Okay, uh, I, need, I need to work, I need more to work on. He pointed to a t- little table, and to the credit, someone the Friday before had set some things up. So they knew I was going to come in. It wasn't just like sing happy birthday for 50 minutes. So there was a little bit, a little bit of a lesson plan there. And the and the guidance from my handler, you teach English. So that's what I did. I taught English. So I walked into the room. One thing you need to know, that the classes in Korea are really small for the private institutes. Uh, there's only 12 students. 12 students was the max that you have in the class. So you had really good teacher-to-student kind of ratios. But you also had to understand that this was the new group of kids, brand new kids to English. None of them spoke a word of English. Again, I do not speak any Korean. We are in a language institute that is an immersive environment. Well, they're trying their best. So the signs everywhere is don't speak Korean, don't speak Korean. They want us just to speak English, which is really daunting considering there is no one in this building who can speak a word of English, but me, but I don't understand any Korean. And that's the only language anyone seems to understand that I'm being surrounded with, including my roommate yet again, who comes from my hometown or comes from the capital of my home province, who looks like me, who I think should talk like me, 
but is only speaking Korean. And possibly when he, he went into his classroom, he turned in, turned the English back on. He was not sharing any English with me. So I walk into the classroom. I say, good morning, crickets. Good morning, more cricket. Hello, class. Hello, hello, hello. Three times was the term. And the kids said back to me, hello. Now, we have tw I had 12 kids. I think it was like maybe nine girls, three were boys. And one thing I found in my time in Korea, and this is, I don't know why, but I found that the, the girls in Korea really enjoyed the English a little more in the classes I taught, took to it a little quicker, a little better behaved, um, so more studious in the learning. Uh, I found the boys students a little bit more rambunctious. Now, these kids were uh, seven or eight years old, so grade one or grade two, so they're very young. Um, nine girls just sitting there, hands folded, ready to learn. Three boys kind of being a little silly, but definitely not on Western standards of misbehaving. I mean, barely misbehaving. I mean, I think all 12 of my kids were very, very well behaved. Um, so I'm trying my best and I'm, I'm uh, 10 minutes in and I, I can't get a good morning. I don't know about you folks, but I'm not a big fan of silence. And I'm actually not a big fan of silence when I'm teaching and I actually don't know what I'm doing. I want something, some kind of talking back and forth. Um, so I look and I see there's like a chart, a money chart. And so I'm going to start teaching money, right? And I say, okay, I can do this. All right. And I can see they have the coins and the dollar bills. So I start with penny, penny, kids go penny, penny, going great. Nickel, 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 nickel. Excellent. I think I got a rhythm of dime, dime, dime. Okay, I'm going to branch out. I got, I got a penny. I got a penny. I got a nickel. I got a nickel. This is going great. So I think I'm really going to break through. Then I go, I've got a quarter. There's a silence. I got a quarter. Nothing. Not a word. Nothing said. I'm thinking, have I lost my rhythm? What has happened here? So I try it one more time. Extra enthusiasm. Come on, guys. We can do it. I got a quarter. All the kids take their two pointer fingers, the two main fingers on my hand, and stick it up their noses. So now, here I am. No one has spoken really genuine English to me. I'm in an English school. I do not speak Korean. I have not slept for 24 hours. It is sweltering hot outside. I am now in a classroom of 12 kids with their two fingers stuck up their noses looking at me. Now, I know when a child is misbehaving, this was not misbehavior. I know when a child's not listening to you, they were listening to me. The problem was they were listening to me. They were doing what I was asking them to do. I said, I got a penny. They said, I got a penny. I said, I got a nickel. I got a nickel. I said, I got a quarter. They stuck their fingers up their nose. Why? I think to myself, what is there a joke here? Is there a camera here? Am I on some weird show? I've just met a guy who looks a lot like me who won't speak English. I have people picking me up who don't know any English who call me Trior. So my name is wrong. No one is speaking to me. I'm boiling hot. I'm for some reason teaching on a Saturday. I have not slept in a day. And I'm now in a classroom with 12 kids with their fingers stuffed firmly up their noses, looking at me with big eyes like, well, what's next, teacher? 
Well, teacher, I don't know what's next because I don't know why their fingers are up their nose. So we're going to take a little break and I'm going to explain to you why their fingers were up their noses. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, just took a little break there. I just wanted to build up some of kind of the uh, wonderment of why I would be sitting in a classroom in the burning heat in August of 1996 with 12 Korean students with their fingers up their noses. Um, just to recap, I was into this amazing lesson, which I thought to myself was an amazing lesson, about coins. Uh, we pointed to a penny. I got a penny. I got a nickel. I got a dime. And when I reached the point of quarters, all the kids paused for about three times and by the third time when I really pushed them on I've got a quarter they put their fingers up their noses um, at that point I realized wow I am in over my head you cannot just fall into teaching you also maybe if you show up in a foreign country you might look a little bit into the language a little bit into the cultures a little bit into more than I did so stop the class kids took their fingers out by the grace of God, that actually took 40 minutes of me kind of chanting four coins that kind of uh, ended with uh, everyone's fingers in their noses. As the children are leaving, one of the little ones turned to me and said, Sung Sing Nim. Now, Sung Sing Nim is the Korean word for teacher. And the student really took kind of a risk there because it was an English-only school, but it was Saturday. There was like five people in there, and I was not enforcing any rules at that point. So she said, Sun Singim, Ko, and she touches her nose, Tur, she touches her hair. I find out later that the Korean word for nose is Ko, and the Korean word for hair is Tur. So what I actually taught these 12 children on my first lesson, and maybe their first exposure to a person from Canada, uh, was, hey, look, I got a penny, I got a nickel. I got a dime and I've got nose hair. Please touch my nose hair. I got nose hair. Um, I can imagine that they went home and said, yeah, it was a great lesson. We learned about three American coins and to put our fingers up our noses. Uh, we never did get any phone calls about my lesson, never got any complaints. I think a mistake like that in the school system now would get the odd phone call in, at my school at the very least. But in Korea, it was just kind of okay. Uh, that's a new lesson, I guess. Um, it was a good laugh, uh, but it taught me a lesson also that I'm definitely in a different place. I'm definitely in a different country, and that was my first experience with teaching in Korea, the old the nose hair lesson. Um, so I finished the next class uh, kind of doing a little better, trying to be a little more careful, not knowing, are there words that mix and mingle here? How careful do I need to be? The next class were grade four students, and there was a pretty straightforward class about transportation, and um, I take the car to school, I take the car to a uh, supermarket, I take the car, I take the car. A lot of chanting, a lot of now getting really, 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 really tired, right? But I realized, okay, it's going to be all right, a couple hours, I get to go home, I can relax. Shift ends. And my roommate is waiting for me. And what I realized was they like to pair the roommates together in Korea so they, they can support each other through this kind of culture shock that they might go through. One of the things uh, you have to realize with my roommate, he did not speak English, still did not speak English. I said, Gordon, how did your classes go? 
and he responded to me in Korean. Um, I think if I think back today, I think his Korean was very, very weak, but it wasn't English. And he probably said something along the lines of they were fine. We, we have to go. But again, in Korean to a person who speaks no Korean, I have not slept yet. It's sweltering hot. Just taught two classes that confused the heck out of me. And we're heading back to our apartment that don't know where it's at. Don't know where I'm at. Um, know little about the city that I live in. So we go back to the apartment again. My roommate's still speaking Korean, but I'm falling behind him like a lost puppy dog. Knowing that if I lose him, I'll be lost forever within the city of Seoul. Now, I'm not in Seoul. I'm in I'm north of Seoul. And I think if I was in Seoul, I would have been lost forever. And he leads me at least back to the apartment. I give him credit for that. And he, he goes to his room. And this time it is, again, I will say this a lot, 1996. And he has a cassette player. And he goes in his room. And in the cassette player, he is actually playing. He has Korean playing over. I give him all the credit in the world to his dedication to learn the language of Korea, which is Hangul, by the way. Uh, so to learn it, his dedication was, I guess, incredible. But it was not very helpful for me in the moment because he still refused to speak to me in English. I would talk to him. He would respond to me in Korean. It got to the point that he started acting confused to me at my English. I know this man understands English, but he was in front of me metamorphosizing into a Korean person because he was now pretending he didn't understand the English I was using. And now I had nobody to communicate in any way, shape, or form. I'm just trying to figure things out as I go. I'm, I go to sleep. I'm now so tired I can't even sleep. It is now about 6 p.m. at night, and I decide, well, I'm going to, you know, kind of walk around a little bit. I do have keys to the apartment. I do kind of, I, I say to myself, don't get too far from home. Whatever you do, I've got to be able to get back. Don't get too far from home. This is not a, a time of cell phones. There are no cell phones. I don't even know my, my telephone number. I think I know my apartment number. I don't even remember kind of even memorizing it i definitely didn't write it down that's a flaw of mine but i do kind of look and say okay i think i remember the building i'm in if you've ever been in south korea or you've ever been in any kind of country with millions and millions of people that build their apartment buildings very similar you will realize that my apartment looked identical to thousands of other apartments all within a radius of about five to six blocks. Um, it was literally a needle in a haystack. I had gotten to a point where I had gotten to what we would say the point of no return. It is a Saturday night in Ilsan, Koyangchi, uh, north of Seoul. You got your Canadian here, 1996, and I am lost. I do not know where I'm at. I do not know how to get back. All I have is a set of keys. I do not have a phone number. Cell phones aren't even in, well, they might have been invented. They're definitely not invented for general use. I am preferably lost. And it's hot, not as hot as the afternoon, but not cooling down like one would like. So I am sweating profusely. I don't know where to go. 
but I did convert some of my Canadian money to Korean won. And I do the, what anyone would do when they're lost and they don't know what to do. I decide to start drinking. Um, so I decide I go into a bar or something. But what I notice as I'm walking are these like tents, just tents on the side of the road. And in the tent, you got someone cooking something up like a barbecue and people drinking. And you walk another block, there's another tent, another tent. Now I learned later. Uh, these are staple in in any Korean area called the soju tent. Now, soju is the national drink of Korea, which is a potato vodka, which uh, is about 40% alcohol and will knock you on your butt after four or five drinks. Well, it will knock, definitely knock me on my butt because I have not slept for more than two hours in the day, sweltering hot, no one will speak English to me, and I'm just looking for something. So... I find a tent and I can hear something, come here, come here. The one English air, come here, come here. I look and there's these four gentlemen, uh, probably in their mid-30s, got the tie on. They've worked hard all day. It's a Saturday. Koreans work on Saturday. Um, and they've just, it seems like they're just finishing up their shift. I mean, it's about 9 p.m. at night. And they are Amway salesmen. <laughs> Not what they're selling Amway. So they asked me to sit down. I tell them where I'm from. Their English is actually the best English I've ever had. Better than English of my Nova Scotian roommate, who won't speak a word of English. And we start talking. And we have a fantastic time talking, having fun. I'm having a couple beers. It's going really good. I have now forgotten that I am lost in the outskirts of a city of 20 million people. I now forget that I have no access back, to, or no idea where my apartment is. I have no idea what floor I'm on, what apartment I'm on. I have a set of keys in my hand. That's a good thing. I have no telephone numbers, no access to get back. I, I won't regale you about the night. It was a, a typical fun drinking night. I mean, I had fun with the Amway salesman who did speak some English. Uh, somehow they handed me off to another group of Korean businessmen. And you're going to find, I was a young man, you know, open to meeting people in Korea and maybe meeting that special someone. And I spent a lot of time with Korean businessmen um, for some reason. I, I was always a drinking partner. Wherever I go, it would always be, hey, bring out that really big, tall Viking, because you know my name is now Trior, and let's drink together. And I've, I've had nothing but fun times drinking in Korea. So I find myself in this small little kind of bar. I think it's a bar. I'm not sure. Because at this point, I've had a couple beers and this thing called soju. And again, if you live in Korea or you are Korean, you know what I'm going through when I say I have a little bit of this soju, right? Because a little bit goes a long way to kind of knocking you out. So now I have shifted from beer, which is called mechju in Korean, to soju. And I'm doing the triple crown of trying to kind of kill myself. And I start drinking something called makgeolli. Now, makgeolli, again, if you live in Korea or you are Korean, you're probably shaking your head and saying, why? Why is this man making so many bad decisions? Makgeolli is a rice wine. So now I have shifted from beer to hard liquor to rice wine, the trifecta of trying to kind of knock myself out. I am now pretty intoxicated, still in the middle of a 
suburb of a city of 20 million people with no cell phone, then were not invented in 1996, with no way to contact anyone, and more importantly, no way to get home. I have a set of keys in my hand. That would be the only saving grace I have. And now it's about four in the morning. I'm in Ilsan, and there's time to leave this uh, soju bar, this little hole-in-the-wall bar. I'm not even sure it was an official bar. And now I'm walking the streets. Now, one thing you need to know about Korea, and I still think it's true in 2023, one of the safest places in the world, thank goodness for that, where you could walk around any time you want. So you, you would not have any problems. But I could just imagine, because this is a new city just built in the northern part of Seoul, north of Seoul. There would not be many six foot five white Viking looking triors walking around confused. But I, here I am walking around Ilsan trying to figure my way home. To this day, there are many mysteries that I think of how certain things happen. This stays on the top of all the mysteries. I add this to any mystery of the world or any mystery of the universe. I was sitting on a park bench, and I just closed my eyes for a second, and I opened them up. And I found myself on a sofa in an apartment. And believe it or not, it was my apartment. To this day, now 1996 is 27 years ago. I have not figured out in 27 years how I got from a park bench to my apartment to this day. Not only did I somehow figure out how to get through the northern part of a suburb of 20 million people to my apartment that looked like the same as thousands, and I'm not exaggerating when I say thousands of other apartments, I somehow found my way back to my apartment. I am, my apartment was on the 13th floor of a building that was number 1501. Uh, 1501, when there was 14 other buildings within that little unit. So imagine 25 high rises on one block, and 25 high rise, and when I say high rises, I'm talking buildings over 10, 10 stories high, and 25 the next block over. Now imagine that for about 50, 60 blocks. That's Korea. That's communities in Korea where tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people live in a small space by Canadian standards. I find my building, my block, my floor, my apartment, my sofa. I had been in this apartment, and I'm not going to lie to you. I'd been in this apartment the one-hour lunch with Gordon, the non-English-speaking guy from Nova Scotia roommate, gone and taught, took a two-hour nap, went for a walk. I have spent all of three hours in this apartment, and somehow, like I said, to this day, 27 years later, I cannot figure out how I got home. Do not know how. But I did, by the grace of something. I got home. Some kind of internal navigation device is in us. Um, I think, actually, if I was 100% sober, never would have found my way home. I think if I had just a couple beers, I didn't. I would never find my way home. I had reached some weird kind of Jedi kind of drunk state where I had not passed out, 
but I'd been able to dig deep into some kind of deep mental understanding of where I was, and I navigated myself home. I'm not an overly spiritual person, but something guided me from a park bench in a town of 20 million people, or on the outskirts of a town of 20 million people, or millions of people either way, to my apartment. Um, If you are living in Korea right now, if you are living in Ilsen or Koyang right now, you're going to yell out BS on this one because you're going to say, there's no way that guy found his way home. Well, here I am. <laughs> so 27 years later and 10 years in Korea, I got home. So somehow it magically happened. Um, so I, I get some sleep. Sunday comes and goes and I start my, my shift on Monday. I get to work and I'm going to wrap up this first episode. Uh, I want to get into some really funny things that happened because it seems that the first year was some of the most funny, ridiculous things that could happen besides the nose hair, just the, the magical way of getting home. Um, but we are going to touch on a really big kind of strange event in my time in Korea, and it happens week one, week one at work. I am teaching. I'm getting things going. And if you remember previous, I talked about the shampoo spilling in, in the bag. So the shampoo was spilled in my bag and it turned some of my clothes blue. It's, it was, it's a weird thing that happens sometimes, you know? And uh, so I try to wash my clothes, but my underwear, 1996, probably didn't have the most fanciest underwear in the world, but my un- underwear had a distinctive blue stain to them from the shampoo. I, I did not have like, you know, uh, kind of a Smurf diarrhea or anything like that. It, it just kind of had a stain, a blue stain on it. That's fine. I wash everything kind of again, and a week goes by. Again, my roommate still has not spoken English to me, does not speak a word of English. I'm washing my clothes, getting myself, got first weekend, kind of working. And they do, it is hard work, and it is exhausting, and the jet lag. So it was a lot of work, sleep, work, sleep, work, sleep. It is also unbelievably hot at this time of the year. It is the end of August, the start of September. Uh, so I've done my clothes. I've washed my clothes one time because of the shampoo incident. Uh, the cream washing machines are, you know, to be kind, they're rudimentary, but they get the job done. Dryers don't exist. Dryers don't need to exist. It is so hot that you just hang your clothes out on like a rack. You have a rack there. So I'm hanging my clothes out in a rack. I've washed them once. My underwears have blue stains on them. That's fine. I can live with it. I really... Did not put it on my uh, list of things I need to figure out is how to get new underwear. I'm going to be okay with this underwear. You might be thinking, why is he talking a lot about his underwear? You're going to find out very shortly. Um, So I go through the week, and Gordon, my roommate, and I I promise you these podcasts won't always be about Gordon, but this was how things began for me in Korea. Gordon, my roommate, still does not speak English to me. We have a small TV... um, one of the small tube TVs. I actually think it's, it was small than 32 inches. It was a small TV. I don't know. As a miracle, I thought I'd turn the TV on. Maybe I see something I understand. Some of the worst reception I've ever seen in a TV. I was getting maybe two stations, and they were coming in very poorly. And I think it was NBC and KBS, two of the main stations in Korea. And that was it, just in Korean. I just watched it. And the only thing I could even kind of enjoy was the weather because I kind of knew numbers. 
um, not really absorbing any Korean because just leaving all the time, working in an English only school. I am meeting some really kind of cool people, but the part of thinking I was going to meet people from all over the world, I was so excited. We had eight teachers there, eight teachers from overseas. Six of the eight teachers were from, and you guessed it, Nova Scotia. Nova Scotia, my home province. The guy I sat across from grew up three streets from me. I'm thinking, I have just traveled thousands of miles, and you guys are all from Nova Scotia. And my roommate, who is also from Nova Scotia, does not speak English to anyone or me. And all my other coworkers are saying, Gordon's different. Different is minor statement to the way Gordon was. Gordon was going to learn Korean. Gonna drive me crazy, but he was going to learn Korean. So there was no English spoken in my presence. But Gordon was my access home and back until I could figure it out. He was my roommate and he was kind of my kind of uh, bud partner kind of thing. You know, when, when schools put kids together, the older kid with the younger kid or the new kid and the old kid together. Well, Gordon was supposed to be my kind of conduit to help me get through things. So Gordon not speaking English did not help. A TV that had two stations coming in fuzzy also was kind of depressing, right? But I'd go to work and I had staff members talk about something they saw on TV. And I'm thinking, these guys don't know Korean that well because they haven't been here that long. How did they see that TV show? How did they see that TV show? So I go home and I look at our little TV and something is off. And I see that the cable has been unscrewed from the back of the TV. We had English stations in Korea. We had one that was for the military bases there that actually had all the top shows. And we had a couple of kind of uh, star TV that showed uh, shows that uh, never aired in Canada or in the United States, but aired for like one season and then didn't really catch on. They kind of got hold of them on star tv so you saw these weird combination sitcom with actors like did he do that show did she do that show so but there was english tv my roommate gordon did not want english in the apartment so he unscrewed the cable from the back of the tv and i didn't realize until i took the cable put in the tv in the back and voila not only did I get good reception, I got television. <laughs> and I put the English station on. Well, my friend Gordon <coughs> did not like this at all. Stormed out just to then. And Gordon was the epitome, the epitome of passive-aggressive. He was so passive-aggressive, he just wouldn't speak English. He was passive-aggressive in a language he didn't even have a good control over, but was being passive-aggressive with stood over, stared, and grumbled at me with the, ah, oh, moment of English. I hear in English. I'm hearing actually a TV show. I think I think it was actually Friends was on. I couldn't get over it. So I got some English, and I'm just sitting there on the couch, and I could feel Gordon's anger, Gordon's apprehension. I burst his, his hangul bubble, his Korean bubble. Gordon goes to bed. A couple days go by. We've got to a point. I know he's uncomfortable with me he's, he's uneasy that kind of thing i don't care i need something some kind of connection at home so i wake up one morning again saturday and i think it's about one weekend it might be actually two weeks in it's a saturday 
Gordon is rushing to get to work. And one of the few times Gordon is late, but I'm ready to go. And Gordon has to walk me there. But for some reason, Gordon's not coming out of his room. It's a really weird thing. I hear some rustling going on. I'm not sure. And I, and I yell, Gordon, we have to go. I said, I'll be out front waiting for you. So then as soon as Gordon hears that I'm out front, I think he thinks this, the coast is, as we say, the coast is clear. Gordon came running out in just a pair of underwear. His underwear uh, has a major blue stain on it. And no, Gordon did not have Smurf diarrhea. Gordon was wearing my underwear. Now, there's a lot of things in life you can handle, but another person wearing your underwear is not one of them. It is something that you spin through your mind and go, what am I seeing? What has just happened? But I need him to walk me to work. So I said, Gordon, I'll be downstairs. Again, we're in a big apartment, and I'll wait for you. I can't get to work without him walking me there. I haven't really figured it out yet. And I just I thought we were supposed to walk to work together. So I am down at the base of my apartment thinking to myself, why does he have my underwear on? I've never thought I'd have to ask that question. I never ever thought I'd ever gone through anything in my life where another person is wearing your underwear. Now, I'm a guy, so I'm going to say it. As a man, a lot of stuff happens in my underwear. A lot of things when I, I feel that when I bought a pair of underwear, that pair of underwear should only be worn by me and then set on fire or thrown away forever. No other human being should put on a pair of underwear that I have once worn. But Gordon is wearing my underwear right now. I'm thinking, why is Gordon wearing my underwear? Can't really ask him because Gordon only speaks to me in Korean. Never speaks to me in English. We get to work. We're sitting there. And we actually sat across from each other. Gordon never speaks English in the office, even though it's an English immersion school. And he's sitting there, and I'm sitting there. And I turned and looked at him and said the one phrase I thought I'd never say in my life. Gordon, are you wearing my underwear? Well, Gordon looks at me with a reply that I'll never forget. Yeah, I didn't think you mind. And I, that was the only English Gordon ever spoke to me. I didn't think you'd mind. And I said, Gordon, you didn't think I'd mind you sitting there across me with my underwear on right now. You do not know what has gone on between me and my underwear. And you are now sitting there with my underwear on. And the only English you ever spoke to me is, I didn't think you would mind. Gordon moved out <laughs> about a couple days later. He told the people that <coughs> owned the school, ran the school, that he couldn't live with me anymore because he felt I was in the way of him learning Korean because I plugged the TV back in because I kept asking him things in Korean. And I think deep down, Gordon couldn't look me in the face knowing that he wore my underwear. Gordon then said one more thing to me in English. So I kind of lied when he said that was the only thing he said to me. He did say one more thing. He said, uh, Trior, because he called me Trior. He said, Trior, do you want them back? Well, I said, no, Gordon, you can keep my underwear, Gordon, because I do not want them back. Uh, Gordon moved out, and we never lived together again. And then I had a good about eight months on my own, not sharing an apartment with anyone. So, folks, I want to uh, thank you for listening. This was the start of a podcast about my time in Korea. 
I hope you enjoyed it. I enjoyed retelling the stories. Uh, there's lots of great stories ahead. Some that include tying up some kindergartens in the middle of the street. Uh, other ones, uh, episodes at a bank when uh, they refused to give us service because they thought we could speak Korean when we couldn't. Um, there's a lot of fun things ahead, and I hope you guys enjoy it. And I uh, thank you once again for listening to my podcast.